Hello everybody and welcome to Sound of Play. Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. And joining me, Leon Cox, in Sound of Play 87 is from the Cane and Rinse community and soon to be the wider world of the internet, it's uh, Craig Windle. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. So uh, I put the shout out to community members a while back uh, and I don't remember if you specifically responded, but in fact, in this case, this was one where I invited you on because uh, you in we have a little forum, uh, an off-topic area, and we have a particular thread somebody started a while ago and absolutely welcome to do so, in which people put their uh, self-promotion items and uh, you put your your 8-bit chiptunes EP in there. Yeah. Uh, and 
I invited, I'll admit, I invited you on before having listened to it. It could have been a terrible idea. Uh, yep. It could have been that, that I've been now subjecting myself and our listeners <laughs> to the worst kind of chiptune rubbish you've ever heard. But I don't think that's the case. Thank you very uh, much. You're very kind. Windmills at Dawn is the name of uh, that you record under and produce mm-hmm. music under. Uh, now, uh, people will spot from your accent that you're originally from the northeast of England, but uh, you're now in Fukuoka. Yep, I'm living in Fukuoka, Japan, which you might have heard of in the news last year. With Fukuoka's the place where which had that massive sinkhole, which was then fixed within oh, a week. Right. Yep. It's also the same prefecture you might have heard about the ice rink with all the fish frozen inside. Yes, uh, yep. that did not go down well in in, uh, <laughs> in that, this country. And it, well, it didn't go well da- down well in Japan either. So, and that theme, huh. that theme park is unfortunately closing at the end of this year now. Um, so, we, we opened the show. We did digress, but we opened the show with some video game music uh, after a fashion, an arranged version, guitar arranged version of the uh, the famous F Zero X title. BGM, as it's known, by Taro Bando. Uh, if you had earwax before, it's now either been dislodged or compacted further. Uh, why did you pick that one? Is is it the uh, it's is an, it the, the the rock that you love, or the game, or just that particular arrangement? It's all all of those together, really. So yeah. the music with the game is amazing. So it's really driving. It's really fast. And if you listen to the soundtrack whilst you're driving a car, it's incredibly dangerous because you just want to keep going faster and faster. Uh, yeah, but F Zero X it has a bit of a comic aesthetic, uh, yes. and this music it's completely over the top, ridiculous, but it goes so well with the music. And this arranged album, it's kind of like at the start of 3DS, you had these N sixty four remakes like Ocarina of Time and Star Fox, and people were complaining like, oh, that looks just like the N sixty four version. Mm. But when you go back, it's it's a lot better. Yes. So this arranged album, it hits a, a lot of the same notes of, as the mm. N64 version, but expands on them. So when you go back to yeah. the N64 version, you think, hang on, this isn't... I thought it was like that. It, because it just replaces it in your memory. But it's, it's an absolutely amazing guitar-arranged album. And the melodies in F-Zero are so strong. You can have it with this, you can... They did a jazz arrangement of, I think that was for the first F-Zero, uh, with right. saxophones and piano. It's very laid back. But also, yeah. rec- more recently, the Mario Kart 8 DLC have the F-Zero tracks, and you can see on YouTube an amazing jam of people going, someone going crazy on saxophone to Big Blue, yeah. and it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, the Mario Kart band, fantastic mm. thing, and uh, it's it's cool how we are now hearing... Some of these tunes that were obviously F Zero started right at the beginning of the '90s when the Super Famicom was launched. Uh, you may hear some more from that original soundtrack on the upcoming Sound of Play '90. Mm. Uh, and yeah, listening to the the the, the '98 original of, of on the N64, we've we've spoken many times before that the Nintendo 64 did not really have a dedicated sound chip as such. Yeah. Uh, so I suppose uh, suppose we're going to talk about your uh, your work with the limitations of the NES and the Famicom. Um, you couldn't really do the same thing with an N64 because yeah. there is no real 
I, I don't really understand it because I'm not technical or musical. All I know is that people tell me, and certainly having played a lot of N64 games, I'm not saying none of those games had amazing sound because they did some amazing things, but you can hear in the quality of the sound on the N64 that it was not the priority of that machine. That machine was about graphics and the sound was something of an afterthought, I think. I think if I remember rightly, uh, you actually had to dedicate some some of your processor to the music. And I think that's it, yeah. Obviously, a big way in you sold games back then was through magazines. So screenshots, yeah. you need your graphics, you need them to look good. But that your sound, that doesn't come across through in so magazines. True. So, yeah, which mm. actually, but obviously at the same time, the PlayStation was making it big. You had some amazing soundtracks, which like Red Book Audio as well. And things like Wipeout, you'd hear those played in clubs and stuff like that. So there was such a massive difference at the time between not the quality of composition, but the quality of the output of the music. But later on, we've gotten a an N64 track, which I think manages to do incredibly well with the limitations. Yeah, it often sounds, they were using, uh, I guess, low quality samples and, and things like that a lot of the time. And yeah. uh, and, and, it, and it's it's often quite, the sound of the N64 I associate as, as being quite woolly and muddy. Mm. Uh, even though like we've we've played music from Pilot Wing 64 and Super Mario 64 before, there's some astonishing work on there, but... Yeah, in terms of reproduction, uh, it doesn't always it, it doesn't always sound as good as you remember, I guess. But yeah, so good good pick there using the guitar arrange edition of uh, of that by a, a, a Ryuichi Katsumata. Very cool. So yes, I mentioned it there. Under the name Windmills at Dawn, Craig here has been making music in the style of the Famicom. And we're talking about hardware limitations there uh, to an extent. But one of the things I'm curious about, we know that from uh, particularly I know about the 8-bit computers where games were written to run entirely before multi-loads anyway Mm. in 48 or 64K on the Spectrum and Commodore 64. And it was a case of the programmers programmed the game, the graphics artists did the the art, and then the musician would get whatever was left uh, to make sometimes incredible sounds we've we've featured the work of rob hubbard and tim follin and and people like this uh i guess it's slightly different on a on an nes cartridge Mm -hmm. slightly different again on a famicom disc i suppose but on an nes cartridge you you would have been limited by obviously the sound channels and also how much rom you were being given to work with as well and and i suppose ram was also a consideration but maybe less so running from a cartridge i don't really understand any <laughs> of it but but how 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 much how much do you subscribe to the real world limitations of making music for say a an nes cart so as far as file size goes i don't really pay much attention to that area but i think okay from music point of view the larger file size yeah. is most mostly came from sample use so you had yeah. things like i believe it was sunsoft used uh, an amazing yeah. the sample channel to use the bass lines and they've got a very distinct sound from that mm. uh, but other than that i use famitracker which is a software that emulates each of the sound channels of the nes and you can use it to do the expanded uh, chips such that you'd find in the special konami ones that would you can only get in the yeah. famicom and it's the same software that 
I believe the guy who does Shovel Knight uh, used to compose Shovel Knight. And mm. you can actually export it in such a file that will play on the actual hardware. So right. e everything that I've created, so the EP music I've done for games that we'll talk about a little bit later, can actually run on an NES. And not just a Famicom, but an, an American or European NES. Yeah, so it's entirely legitimate. Entirely leg legitimate. No money under the table. We talked about the difference between the Famicom disc and NES uh, Legend of Zelda soundtracks. Yeah. So I think when we played the Legend of Zelda uh, theme on, on that podcast, well, we, we talked about uh, actually how that right up until relatively late in the day, Koji Kondo had intended on just doing a cover of Ravel's Bolero. Yep. <laughs> and that would have changed the history of, of Zelda music. But instead he was uh, written, he wrote under time pressure and duress, uh, the now legendary mm -hmm. theme, pun intended. Uh, but what's the technical difference between the Famicom disc and the, the NES? Is it is it one or two sound channels or is it is it any particular noises that they can make? I think it's more sample channels. I Don't quote me yeah. on this, but I believe it just has more space for sample. So if you right. listen to the Zelda, which is obviously one of the main examples people bring up, yeah. Uh, you hear things like bells and things like that. Mm -hmm. but I've, Trimes, I've yeah. not looked into the Famicom disk system that much. But one thing that is interesting, if you sit someone down from the West and show them the two Zeldas, 99% of people prefer the Western version. But in Japan, right. everybody thinks the NES one sounds very cheap or... Not necessarily yeah. very full because that's not mm. what they grew up with. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I actually I I didn't really grow up with the NES or, mm -hmm. or Zelda, so I I prefer the Famicom version just because mm. it sounds it's just got that extra kind of richness to it. But uh, but equally, I play the 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 NES version, which is the version they sell in the West on the Virtual Console, and and it's fine. And obviously, there are a million ways to enjoy the the Legend of Zelda soundtrack yep. and and March. Uh, not least of which uh, we talked about in the most recent Kane and Rince podcast, all about A Link Between Worlds, in which we were all amazed to find that after Skyward Sword's orchestration and we've, we're now hearing Breath of the Wild with its uh, realistic piano sounds and, yep. and, and bits of orchestra as well, the A Link Between Worlds soundtrack is mainly synthesised because uh, orchestrated music did not, would not work on the the 3ds internal speakers basically mm. so they they own there's only a couple of examples of real life instruments being used a flute and a guitar i think on some tracks and most of that is actually is still synthesized but it sounds so natural and organic to yeah. our ears we, we were we were amazed by that right nintendo does a lot of smoke and mirrors so they know exactly yeah. what they can show and whilst you're looking at that Behind you, so everything is on fire. But because you're looking straight <laughs> ahead, you don't know that. And you can see that with like Ocarina of Time speedruns. If you play the yes. game normally, it runs absolutely fine. If you know what you're doing, you can just rip the game apart incredibly Completely. quickly. Yeah. So they're very yeah. good at that. And one thing that's yeah. interesting about the Breath of the Wild soundtrack is it's by the same woman who did the Animal Crossing soundtrack. And yeah. a, a lot of yeah. it's very incidental music, so just a piano chime here uh, you're not not necessarily 
meant to focus on it. It just sets the mood, which is yeah. exactly what you do in Breath of the Wild. So you're running around, you hear a little bit of um, music, Animal Crossing, you're running around, not necessarily with any goal in mind. You're just catching some mm. bugs, catching fish, and it's a sim- similar kind of music. So it makes sense that it's the same woman. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So talking about composing with limitations in a Famicom yep. style, you've re- uh, released an EP mm-hmm. like like the cool kids do oh, these yes. days. It's out there on the internet. Five tracks. And five track EP mm-hmm. under the name Windmills at Dawn. <clears throat> we'll give you links and stuff later, of course. Uh, and this first track that you've picked uh, is difficult to pronounce, so I'll <laughs> let you do that. Yep, so this is Ardia Jui, and I'll be honest, uh, <laughs> When I named this track, when I wrote it down, I never expected someone to actually make me say it. So oh, sorry about that. <laughs> so this is the scientific name for the for a grey heron, and specifically the grey heron of Japan. And quite often, there's a well, there's a river next to my house, and quite often around this time of year, I'll see this heron looking for food in the river or flying above and walking around, and they're beautiful animals. They, when they're looking for fish, they kind of look, they kind of stalk like cats, but mm. because they're a, <laughs> they're a bird, it looks so bizarre. But anyway, this track, uh, it's based around a simple loop, which a lot of my tracks are, and I kind of had the idea that when you're playing a game, it'd be interesting to have the rhythm section play fairly s- simple, fairly repetitive music, uh, back section, but the melodies come in and out and change. Some of them are familiar, some of them not familiar. Kind of like a jam band, just like a jazz band playing over, over a certain section and saxophone comes in, plays a bit, the keyboards come in, play a bit. So you can easily listen. If you want to listen, there's something interesting happening. But if you just let it wash over you, it keeps a constant beat, it keeps a constant rhythm. It's something familiar. So I feel that I could do something like that in a game and it'd be interesting to work with a programmer to actually set something up which has an uh, which has a rhythm section playing the same thing but randomly the melody changes so each time you play it it's different but not necessarily intrusive and this yeah. but this track it's working on that idea and it's the lead track from for the EP it, if you want to call it a single it's kind of that but we don't really have that sort of culture anymore Uh, but yeah there you go all right let's hear it
so that was, I think, Ardea Cineria Juyi. Let's just call it Grey Heron. Grey Heron. ACJ by Windmills at Dawn. Grey Heron's as seen in uh, The Legend of Zelda, uh, Breath of the Wild. Oh, as yes. Well. One of the common birds out there. Uh, yeah, so I, I listened to uh, your EP uh, in advance of recording, uh, having invited you on without having heard it. Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, so some of the tracks I was listening to on a loop there uh, several times through. As, uh, mm, thank as you very much. Some, some really uh, ambitious stuff there within those yeah, self-imposed limitations. Um, is it is it particularly the the NES that you have? Is, is is it that you have fond memories of that system, that sound chip in particular? Is that why what what draws you towards that format of sound? So I've got quite strong memories of that kind of sound, but it's also quite simple. So if you go into Super Famicom, you'll never end. It just keeps on getting. You can go bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, of but course. Before that, it's it's very very. It's too simple. There's not enough channels. So it's mm. kind of a sweet spot between mm. not, uh, not too expansive and not too simple. It's also a very distinct sound. It has a very char- characteristic sound. So this is at the time where each system, you heard something, you could tell it's from that system, which probably yeah. died out with the 32-bit era. So the PlayStation, as soon as you could stream music, it's yeah. It's not based on the PlayStation anymore. It's whatever they recorded and put on CD. Whereas this, the system itself, the people have to know how to manipulate it and how to change it. So the NES in particular, I think it's a nice system to do that with. Yeah, I definitely got... Uh, although I don't have the nostalgia for the, for, the, for the NES, obviously I've gone back and played a large amount of NES games for my own... Uh, culture and uh, mm-hmm. and for the podcast and stuff like that and uh, I do I do think there's a certain warmth to uh, like the bass notes of yeah. the of the NES they 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 reverberate nicely through they were obviously designed to to have a, a certain amount of oomph through a regular an old school cathode ray tube television with a, probably a mono speaker mm-hmm. uh, and like particularly in America where the NES was much bigger than it was in uh, certainly in the UK mm. and I think Europe as well the the levels of nostalgia for those tunes uh, mainly i guess a lot of them would have been as well as people like sunsoft a lot of them would have been nintendo first party stuff oh, yes. a lot of koji kondo yeah. but also konami and capcom mm-hmm. uh cutting their teeth with with their 8-bit tunes uh, and it was an exciting era as i say i was more uh, over here aware of the the 8-bit computers um but it, i think you maybe Although you're just about old enough to remember the NES uh, and the Amiga, I think the probably you would have missed the the Spectrum and C64. Yeah, era. I'm mostly missed out on them. I I kind of I understand the legacy, but that kind of yeah. it's too far for me to go back. And I know that yeah. a lot of people will say that about the NES, or the Super Nintendo. A lot of people, everybody has their own limits, but for me, that's just one step too far. And I think because I wasn't there at the time so as you mentioned after the nes came the super nes Mm -hmm. the super famicom and i'm really glad you've picked something from the soundtrack to contra spirits Mm -hmm. aka contra 3 aka super probotector awful name (laughs) uh and this is a really atmospheric piece i think um from the third stage why'd you pick this one so Overall, the soundtrack's very brave, I think. it's There's often 
no real clear melody or even a focal point, but it still somehow manages to keep a driving force throughout, which is, if you think of the 16-bit era, there were some, uh, some games that did this, but a lot of it was very, very melody-based, melody even if there was a mm. strong atmosphere the atmosphere was still being carried by a melody. So if you listen to this track, uh, for the first section, there's lots of chaos. It's, there's lots of not quite sure where to listen. I was going to say where to look, but you're listening to it. And then mm. about halfway through, it kicks in with incredibly focused, you know what's happening. You know exactly what you should be focusing on. And the change is so dramatic that it really stands out and seems more important. And this kind of theme seems to continue through the whole soundtrack. So once you get to the last level at the start, compared to everything else in the game, the music's kind of very straightforward and it really feels like you've arrived at the base and now you've got a job to do. So yeah. uh, it, the game starts off, you're in the city and it's, everything's gone to hell. You don't know what's going on. You progress through the game, and then when it gets to the last level, even though you can see that the aliens are there, the music tells you that is the last level. You you just know. Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting to see not just this track, but all overall how ambitious this was. I'm proud to say I did complete this back in the day on the Super Nintendo. Uh, I revisited it, but not to completion in the run-up to our recent podcast, Kane Rince 253, which was all about the first two Contra games, Contra and Super Contra. If we return to the series, we will inevitably, of course, talk about this. Uh, and the other, its 16-bit counterpart, of course, this was the fabulous era when Konami were making specific titles for Super Nintendo and Mega Drive that uh, employed the sort of the strengths of each machine and including in, in that the, the, the sound chip. This is in traditional fashion, composed by one or more of four people, uh, Miki Higashino, Masanori Adachi, Tachihi Iwasi and Aki Hata. <laughs>
Spirits Stage 3. You can play that on Wii U Virtual Console. Mm. It's the US NTSC ROM, excellently. And if you have a new Nintendo 3DS, they're no longer new, but they're still <laughs> called new. Uh, they also run uh, some Super Famicom games on Virtual Console, and uh, you can play that there. Ideal. Uh, I, I'd say it's not the, the toughest game in the Contra series. I think that comes later, but it's certainly... It certainly took me a lot of practice, and yes, I was playing it with seven lives, not the default three to complete it. But complete it, I did. God damn it, nonetheless. It's one of those games that I can't objectively say how difficult it is because I played it so much as a kid. So yeah. now when I jump onto it, I'm saying, oh yeah, you jump there, you jump there. Oh yeah, some guys coming, you jump there. And yeah. it's like playing the piano. My fingers know what I'm doing, but if I had to turn around and tell somebody what I was doing or how I knew what to do, I wouldn't be able to. So it's all muscle memory. And as we discussed on that Contra podcast, the thing is about Contra is that the the characters are just spectacularly responsive and athletic. So although the, the, the bullets are coming in from all angles you're never in doubt as to, mm. you know, one button press will move you. It might move you into a bullet, but there's no there's no waiting for animations or anything like that. This is like pure Twitch, 16-bit hardcore arcade gameplay. Mm-hmm. And we love it. <laughs> Next up, another from Craig's EP. This is, I suppose, uh, it might be fair to say, the most ambitious track on, on the EP and the most epic and probably the one that sort of goes through the most changes and moods and and things like that uh was this a lengthy composition was it a a long process to make or did it just come falling out onto the page (laughs) so as it were it's kind of strange in that sometimes things do just fall out as you said so you start writing and then as you get to the end of a bar you think oh of course that obviously goes next and when that happens it kind of feels like you're cheating because in your mind, you're thinking, huh. well, uh, that obviously... This should have been harder, yeah. You're thinking, well, that obviously happens next. I, I didn't come up with that. It just is. But this... Must have heard it somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this one, uh, I've worked on it for a while and bits and pieces here and there. So it's kind of a jam. So it's all based around the same chord structure. So I started with a slow section and I knew I wanted to it to be kind of long, kind of epic. Maybe a Two weeks later, I added a bit more. Then two weeks later, I added the next section. And I had it for a while, but it kind of ended as after it just got into the uh, lively section. And I thought, mm, it, that's not quite it. 
we mm. that's just when it's starting to ex- get exciting and it's starting to explode. So about maybe three or four months after I kind of shelved it, I came back to it and then added some added this extra breakdown section and it really really worked and made it feel more alive and this is kind of in, inspired by like the end credit scenes of games like super mario world and we all know the music yeah. from super mario world it, at the end of super mario world sorry because it's amazing it's it's yeah it's been picked for for this show on a number of occasions yeah yeah and so and that kind of conveys a journey so it starts off very quietly but then it gets bigger and bigger and faster and it's all very lighthearted and very triumphant and this is similar in structure in anyway so it starts off kind of slow the melody is kind of close to the bass notes which because of the instruments used it gets kind of muddy and the further it goes on the melody opens up the note gets further apart it gets more complex and by the end of it I really wanted to convey a kind of journey. So you'd you'd finished and you were looking back over what you'd done. I think it captures that admirably. Let's hear it. Zephyr.
Great stuff with Mills at Dawn. Craig and my guest here. Uh, we've allowed Craig, even though mm. he's uh, he's kind of he falls in the middle ground between community member and composer. In that, uh, as yet, his games have not appeared in games that you will have played. But we're hoping that will change in the not too distant future. Uh, we have one coming up from a game that is yet to come out. But before that, we've got another pick, another piece from a soundtrack that I'm also very fond of myself. Uh, this is from the second Monkey Island game, mm-hmm. LeChuck's Revenge. Uh, although that game had, I think, two or three different composers named on it, I'm pretty sure that this is by Michael Z. Land, the composer of the original famous theme, and so on and so forth. Largo Le Grand. So uh, you have fond memories of Monkey Island times? Yeah, so... Uh, I used to play this on a, the Amiga when I was a kid. And mm. while I did find them funny, I was still very young. And there was something yeah. about the music. It was always kind of melancholic. And something about the color palette that was kind of creepy. It kind of unnerved me. And I, th- I agree. I, yeah. I, think, I, was old, I was a lot older, but, mm. I, but I had the same feeling. It, was, it's gave it, it had more texture than just a wacky, zany pirate adventure, for sure. Yeah, and I, I think that's definitely made it last longer than some other games uh mm. so you go back to it today and it does still feel there's something not quite right about uh, i think maybe it feels a little bit dirty which it should because it's a pirate game mm. uh, yeah and i think it really stuck with me because of that uh a lot of it did go straight over my head as a child though so like the sword fighting game that's i managed to get up to the sword master but yeah. as a kid i didn't really understand that you had to choose the right responses so Mm. I just kind of brute forced it eventually, but that's what you do Patience. when you're a kid. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So for the longest time, I kind of thought that the Monkey Island games were British games. And I don't know if it's the... Oh, really? Yeah. I, maybe it was because I played it on the Amiga and I just got assumed, associated Amiga with things like Zool that, and that, uh, that Quavers game. And- can you remember that? All oh, right, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Clum- no, it was not Clumsy Colin. Pushover? Or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. But there were other, there, you're right, there were British adventures, obviously, like the early revolution uh, software games, Lure of the Temptress and uh, Beneath the Steel Sky. And mm. um, yeah, there were a lot of European homegrown things because that was where the Amiga was was big in in places like Germany, Scandinavia, and, and the UK, absolutely. I, th- I think also the, the humour in it, for me, always kind of felt a bit hitchhiker's guide that kind of self-deprecating yeah, a bit python yeah, yeah so i think for the longest time it did just feel like a british game to me i think maybe mm. until monkey island 3 came out and everybody had american accents so oh yeah uh, mm. yeah that, that's uh that's monkey island Monkey Island 2, Chuck's Revenge. This uh, particular version is from the 2010 Special Edition. Um, the original was, of course, 1991. This is Lago Le Grand. <laughs>
So we haven't yet been back to the well of Monkey Island. We covered the first game, The Secret of Monkey Island, in Kane and Rince podcast 192. Obviously, we may well return to that series and, and cover the controversial second in fact, I think I think it's fair to call every uh, instalment of Monkey <laughs> Island after the first one controversial in some way. Uh, the second one uh, controversial because of its uh, ending, yep. divisive ending. The third one controversial because it didn't involve some of the main creative talent. The fourth one controversial because, well, I hate it, <laughs> uh, and, and so on and so forth. But uh, yeah, I can definitely see us returning to at least do uh, the second one. You were talking there about um, earlier about uh, improvisational or procedurally generated music. Yeah. LucasArts made, made me think of, so this game was the first one that had the iMuse system. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that, uh, on, it wasn't really there on the Amiga version. Um, the, I think the, the, I know with the first Monkey Island, it was the legendary German composer Chris Hulsbeck who transferred the sound over for them from, from the PC. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know if he did the second game, but I do know that this, this iMuse system was only present if you had one of the nice AdLib or Sound Blaster uh, sound cards. Uh, but it also made me think, going back, uh, an, uh, a game from some years previously, an 8-bit game, a, a first-person future sports sim called Ball Blazer, which mm. is from 84, 85. I had it on my 8-bit Atari. And it had a, yeah, like an improvisational jazz over a, a, a kind of funky baseline that repeated melody uh, rhythm track and then the melody would come in over the top and play it as kind of poodle away and it was obviously uh, as somebody i'm saying this as somebody with no coding or musical expertise mm-hmm. but it sounds like it was probably not that difficult to do because you're saying to play notes that of this length within these parameters within yeah, yeah. whatever key and and so on and so forth but it actually i thought it was really effective and it was even mentioned in the uh lucasfilm games as it was then did these uh these really cool manuals that were kind of um george lucas had a had a little, little hand in in terms of coming up with the scenario and stuff and it, this actually mentioned this sci-fi music that computers you know computer generated jazz kind of thing and it was it was a big deal back then mm-hmm. uh, it was yeah. it was pretty impressive to hear it it's music of the future it's com- Computers are making music now, so we don't need yeah we don't need pop stars. The other thing it makes me think of thinking about Monkey Island music is uh, I had I bought a Monkey Island uh, bounty pack a bounty or booty collection when they re released them in the late nineties early two thousands for PC and I could not get the sound to work on this version because we were still Mm. in the days of uh, incompatibility with with different versions of things and one of the things that I uh, I've heard going back to look at the like there's there's various versions of Monkey Island soundtracks out there there's the the re-instrumented ones yeah uh for the special editions there's the Adlib and Sound Blaster there's the Amiga there's Mega CD conversions and and so on and so forth but one of the versions you can hear under emulation is the internal speaker from PCs that used to beep when you turn them on. Yeah. And so some for for people who didn't have a sound card, people like Michael Land would have had to I don't know whether they did it themselves or whether somebody did it for them, but they would have had to make it so that the soundtrack played after a fashion in these sort of grating atonal <laughs> beeps and grinding noises on on the speaker that actually was literally physically in your in your PC box, 
that kind now that would be yeah that kind of sound i mean obviously people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones but that kind of sound really backs me up but there's amazing the internet is an amazing place it, and there's lots of incredibly bored people out there i don't know if you uh, remember but a few years ago people were setting up printers and floppy i've seen some of these and floppy yeah, disk yeah. drives to play music yeah. which it's absolutely amazing what people can achieve and but you, you watch one or two and you think oh that's neat and stop but yeah the actual this craft that's went into that and the thought behind it it's really amazing i know yeah i've heard i've heard the, the star wars imperial march one a few mm, times yeah and, and and it is it is mind-boggling but also quite unpleasant on the ear <laughs> so it's like a it's a it's a, it's a poison chalice um but yes uh i can't imagine that it wouldn't even surprise me if there was a scene around people trying to get the most out of actual or emulated internal PC speakers. But I think, I feel like, you know, maybe for someone like you, that would be just setting limits too far. Like <laughs> yeah. there's, there's no need to go back beyond, like you said, you could, you could do Atari VCS, uh, which is like one channel mono or something yeah. or two channel um, sound, but, it, but you're working in, in four channels generally is and, uh, and and yeah so in is it four there's generally there's four channels and a sample channel uh but i don't really use the sample channel but mm. although that does sound limiting and it does have its own limits like the one of the channels the triangle channel doesn't have volume so it's one consistent oh, volume right. and then the noise channel you can get some notes out of it in a Certain way, like uh, one Mega Man Two's Metal Metal Man stage, yeah, it has a weird, uh, high pitched buzz, and that's actually from the noise channel. But it's, <laughs> uh, so you can do all these things, but like historically, that's not really that limiting. I mean, you don't really hear people talking about barbershop quartets thinking, "Well, you've only got four monophonic voices. What can you do with this?" Or like Bach, very good Bach, Bach chorales. They they were only four voices, and it's mm. in if in many ways those are actually more limiting because here you can change a lot of things on the fly, and you can if one instrument isn't playing a note for one beat, you can have it play an octave lower, and it sounds like there's another voice. So there's lots of ways you can hide it and mess around, like Nintendo do with smoke and mirrors, as I was saying before. So mm. it is limiting, but historically it's it's pretty much on the on the ball. Yeah, and I'm thinking about the the classic rock pop band combo: guitar, drums, bass, voice. That's four voices in a way, isn't it? Uh, kind of though. Guitar is like monophon, uh, polyphonic. Well, so polyphonic, true. Uh, yes, but but but, something... uh, but it's still four key. Yeah, sort of areas that but are being covered. If you think of it, something like uh, like a jazz jazz band like a new orleans jazz band a very small one mm. you might have you could technically have one with like a sousaphone trombone trumpet saxophone you could have four voices and they're normally a bit bigger than that but yeah. people double up on things so that's and they're all monophonic so 
Now, uh, I'm curious, this next piece uh, you've got for us is from a game jam. Yeah. Um, so tell us the story behind that. And, and how about the talking about noises? I don't know whether <laughs> whether it's from the noise channel or from or from what, but you use some uh, some classic white noise to evoke the sound of water in this one. Yeah. So this is the sound of surf. And this was based, this is the music from the game jam uh, earlier this year in January. So that's the global game jam, which is there's sites all around the world. You all get one theme, uh, not quite at the same time because everyone's in different time zones. And then you get three days to make a game. Uh, at our site, we only had two days because how long we had the venue. But you go, you meet, you get put in a group with people you haven't met, and you discuss the topic, what you could do in that time, and then you try and make a game. So up until this point. I'd be making Famicom music, I'd be making game music, but without a game to attach it to. So I thought, yeah, I'll go to this place, meet some uh, new new people, see what's what, and it'll be fun to actually have my music in a game. Uh, the The topic this year was waves, so we decided to do a surfing game with the. It was going to be a surfing rhythm game, where the music would be in time with the waves, and you would surf. When the waves came, you would jump. It sounds very easy, but mm. by the sounds of it, that was a lot more complicated than I realized, as not being yeah, a quarter myself. So, sure. Um, so what? This is all the music from the game, uh, and I compiled it all together to make one track, and it fits nicely together. So it's yeah. it starts off with the introduction, intro screen, the menu music, and. Because the topic was waves and we're on a beach, you can hear the waves in the background using the noise channel, uh, and it's that sound. If you just have it constant, it sounds very similar to to rain. If mm. you have it very loud, then very the volume drop very suddenly and then fade out. It sounds very similar to a cymbal. So, just small manipulations in volume can change it very dramatically. Uh, so we've got the wave sounds, and also we've got the bass line is going up and down, and it's very lazily, kind of like a wave signal. Mm. And then we've got the first section, the first two sections of the rhythm game. Then there was a hard section in the middle, because we were going to, we were very ambitious, we we're going to implement hard mode. <laughs> and, All right. and then it goes back into the normal section. And then at the end, the is the game over music if you've got a low score and at a very funky version of that at the very end if you've got a high score we didn't get to implement any of that because our game didn't really works but we were ambitious and it was a lot of fun good that's the main thing let's hear this uh, surfing safari sound of surf <laughs> by windmills at dawn
So I find white noise C uh, evokes feelings in me, mainly probably because of Last Wave on Outrun. Yeah, amazing, good track, uh, Sega, Sega track, uh, and I just find yeah, there's something that speaks to me about the fact that as a lifelong by the sea dweller, a Brightonian on the south coast of England, yeah, uh, that you can make uh, quite an authentic sounding water noise with one of like the most basic noises that you can get out of even a, a an ancient video game <laughs> yeah. system, the white noise. Um, I have real fond memories. You can imagine playing eight bit computer games in the uh, in the eighties. White noise or variations thereof, if if that's right, mm-hmm. uh, was used for a lot of different things: for explosions, for uh, laser guns, for water, for fire, for you know, white noise was uh, or, or or something sounds along those lines. And and I realise there's lots of variations within that. Um, and it, you know, it was the again, this this is something that's being being lost to time. Mm-hmm neither a good thing or a bad <laughs> thing really but but turning turning a tv on uh yeah. an untuned tv used to have the snow you know the the, mm. the the screen which was just the the black and white uh some some modern sets still sort of have a simulation of that but it is just a simulation whereas you were literally i believe picking up like the atoms of the universe <laughs> on your tv set as as they flew by your your aerial and it would come with a noise which was yeah a de- detuned tv noise which was which was white noise and so it has a kind of an atmosphere and a power to it of, of its own. Uh, I mean, watch watch the uh, the Toby Hooper, Steven Spielberg film Poltergeist to see uh, little Carrie Ann staring into the TV snow and and uh, becoming possessed by ghosts. Well, it's also shorthand in films for somebody has fallen asleep in front of the TV. And what do they do yeah. now? Just twenty four hour news channel? I'm not not quite sure. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. We used to have closed down. Um, that's you. You see that in in the film I just mentioned as well. The mm. the the, the uh, stars and stripes playing at the end of the the end of the day. We used to have God Save the Queen. Yeah, over or, here or, uh, on in the UK TV, the test card with the girl and the the clown. Absolutely, the girl and the clown. Yeah, she's still alive. That woman. <laughs> she's good to know. seventy eight years old. No, she's not. She's. she's so she's older than me, though. Middle aged. Uh, the clown, not uh, sadly, disappeared <laughs> down uh, at the root of alcohol. Um, so, from the very limited sounds of uh, white noise and four channels, uh, your next pick for us from things that you like yep. from video games, <laughs> music, uh, are, is the main theme from Monster Hunter 3. So, are you a Monster Hunter kind of guy? Uh, I am a Monster Hunter. I initially bought Monster Hunter 3 uh, because of the hype around it, but completely mm. completely bounced off it. D- really didn't understand it. Didn't understand why it took so long to kill things. Didn't understand. Yeah. Yeah. I have to keep putting my weapon away, but if I do that, then I can't hit the monster. I, I just didn't click with it. Keep and, sharpening. Yep. So I had to keep on running away. And then in that time, I felt like I was wasting time. And, but at one point I got a bit sick and I had to stay home from work, relax, mm. do nothing much. That's ideal. Yeah. So and by the end of it, I was feeling a bit better for myself, bored of Netflix and YouTube. So I ended up giving this game another try. Uh, watched YouTube videos from Gaijin Hunter, which I'm sure. Yeah. Maybe about. Yeah, I've heard. Probably. But they're very handy. I'd say maybe half of the people who are playing 
Monster Hunter now have watched those tutorial videos and something finally clicked and once it got its teeth into me I couldn't really get them out. Uh, so yeah, this track is from is the main theme from Monster Hunter Tri, Monster Hunter 3. And mm-hmm. they've always got such incredible bombast, the main theme. So, but this theme, it has a very reluctant triumph to it. And uh, Monster Hunter and Shadow of the Colossus start around the same time. And conceptually, if you were to write a summary of the both, they sound mm-hmm. very similar. It's a take on what, how about we make a game where you only fight bosses but the way they implement that and is completely different and aesthetically completely different uh, yeah. but this track seems to be fall more on the shadow colossus side of look at this magnificent monster you have to kill it oh my god what have you done kind of reflection mm. whereas in monster yeah. hunter it's look at this magnificent monster you have to kill it now he makes a nice hat so it doesn't really address that in game, but this track is absolutely amazing in that it's triumphant, but kind of reluctantly so. All right, let's hear it. The main theme from Monster Hunter 3 or try.
So that debuted on the Wii all the way back in 2009. Uh, there was an HD version for Wii U, of course, uh, and a, a counterpart version on the 3DS, which meant that it was hugely popular in Japan. Yep. Uh, so first question is, do, do your Japanese skills stretch far enough for you to play uh, XX or Cross Cross as soon as it arrives soon? Uh, it was it released last Friday, I believe. At least last. Oh, okay. Oh, it's, it's just. Re- I knew it was imminent. Mm. Right. Uh, if the 3DS was region free, I would. My Japanese skills are not good enough to play it, but I would definitely muddle through it. And one, when you play a few games, you kind of understand where things generally are. Uh, yeah. And you have a big sword. You see a big monster. You know what to do. Uh, but I'm hoping with the Switch being region free now. It's only a matter of time before they bring Monster Hunter to that system. Oh, yeah. And I'm imagining what they're doing now is future-proofing the monsters. So we've already seen it somewhat in that if you played Monster Hunter for probably Generations 2 on the 3DS, you would get a better experience if you played it on the new 3DS because it would use better textures. So the monsters they're designing with the animations and the textures, they probably have higher poly versions somewhere on a computer that they then... Almost mm. certainly, yes. Uh, so same was the Pokemon company. So for the Pokemon they used in Pokemon Go, it's, a, it's right, the same models yeah. as X and Y, but they look, they obviously they look better. So Yeah, that's a really interesting uh, aspect. And... Every Switch owner in the world or anyone who's ever thinking of getting a Switch should be desperate for Monster Hunter to come to Switch, even if they never want to play it. Because if Monster Hunter comes to Switch, it means that Switch sells a ton of units in Japan and then it gets supported by more developers. You you say that, but one of the uh, launch titles for the Wii U was Monster Hunter. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You've rained on my parade. <laughs> yeah, uh, but maybe the the portability aspect, because now True. I know there, yeah. there's a huge scene in Japan with um, playing Monster Hunter out in the wild, as it were. Yep. And yep, that was facilitated. Obviously, it was originally the PSP, but then uh, in more recent times, it's been the 3DS. And uh, it certainly is a system seller over there, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. Uh, I actually went to one of the Monster Hunter festas. Uh, actually, oh, nice. This was uh, before Monster Hunter generations was announced so uh the guy gene hunter the guy who makes those videos had a campaign it's like MF- mhx for the west and there was this mm. board where you could write messages on it and he was uh trying to get at every monster hunter festa in japan someone to write this hashtag mhx for right. the west and i went to the fukuoka one and wrote that on on for him so yeah and it worked yeah it's down to me so you, you, so you can thank me yeah. later. I, I, I will. It's, it's on my 3DS's uh, system, uh, largely unplayed because it's... Uh, <laughs> it's yeah, a mammoth game. Because, because of life and yeah. Monster Hunter. But, uh, it, yeah, the intention is always there. Another interesting connection. Uh, you, you were saying you mucked around with Mega Man and Monster Hunter. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Yuko Komiyama, who composed that main theme, she her first work at Capcom was Mega Man X7. And she also worked on Mega Man X8 and uh, Mega Man X Command Mission. Uh, I uh, am not familiar with much Mega Man, certainly not the the later versions of uh, the X series. But yeah, it's good to know that Monster Hunter and Mega Man are 
actually linked by DNA. Yep. So we now have a piece of yours from a game, mm-hmm. a game that is not out at the time of recording, but will be out in five days' time. So it'll be out in like two days' time by the time people listen to this, if, if they listen to it as soon as it comes out. Uh, so tell us about Theme from Lament. Yep, so this game is called Lament, and it's coming on out on March 31st. And it's a it's kind of a throwback game, so it's it's not it's the same way as Shovel Knight is not very strictly NES. It's kind of how you remember NES being. So the game wouldn't run on NES, but it's using that kind of art style, that kind of aesthetic, that that kind of gameplay. Yeah. Uh and kind of a throwback. It's like Castlevania. And this is the th- theme music which was which I made for the trailer and this came about because early January I was searching Twitter to see chip tunes and I had made made some myself this was just before I went to the game jam and I saw some guy uh, who's called Radcroc who's a very very positive guy and asking hey does anybody make chip tunes want to make chip tunes for my game looked at the screenshots could see NES kind of aesthetic thought I make NES music this mm-hmm. could work so I sent him a message didn't really think he'd say yes so I just kind of he asked me a few questions about what I liked about making NES music why I did that and I kind of I didn't really think too hard about my answers I just told him what I felt just thought yeah it's, it's cool I I like doing it with these limitations it makes me focus it means I actually I don't. I can only do what's in the NES, and I can't think. Well, if I have saxophone, that'd be better. No, I. If I want something, I just have to do better myself. And right. after talking for a bit, he said, "Yeah, could you make some music for my demo?" And I was kind of surprised. I thought, "Yeah, sure." So I did that. And after he released the demo, he uh, he said, "Oh, could you make the music for the rest of my game?" And I kind of wanted to have a trailer and I believe it was I can't remember how long he said but it would maybe a week or two and I thought oh uh yes sure I'll I can make a trailer music in that time and so I made the trailer music as soon as I could uh, in my spare time uh, just chipping away at it sent that to him and he really liked it and after that I've made the music for the rest of the game too so if if you like this music check out the trailer it's obviously since because it's called lament it's kind of hard to search for on youtube so but if you put lament into steam it should be there uh it's about it is i can attest to that i'm looking at it right now. yeah you should see a wolf with a big sword and yes (laughs) you can see it a buster sword yep uh he runs around and hits things with that sword i've i've played the demo i've not played the full game yet but it's very fun it's exactly what you expect from it it has some nice power-ups and yeah i'm looking forward to playing it myself excellent very good i hope it gets some traction let's hear it theme from lament
Windmills at Dawn there, my guest Craig with Theme from Lament, which is an upcoming, very imminently upcoming uh, 8-bit NES style game available on Steam initially. And who knows, uh, sometimes if these things get any uh, positive coverage, they can end up on other formats. And uh, obviously that would be good from your point of view. Yeah, definitely. uh, For people to hear your music on uh consoles and so on and so forth i was just thinking yeah i want to play it on switch too <laughs> and yeah of course everything must must now come to switch oh, yes, so people definitely. can play it on the move or at home yeah a uh, bit of video game news now as we like to do this is regarding undertale a sound of play favorite and the news is that materia collective has recently released the official Undertale Piano Collections, an album of 15 select tracks from the unique award-winning game by Toby Fox. Uh, This brings the talents of arranger David Peacock together with pianist Augustine Mayuga Gonzalez to create not only an album of recordings, but also sheet music for each of the arrangements for intermediate pianists. Uh, so the avail- uh, the album is available for purchase on Bandcamp with the sheet music on Sheet Music Plus. Uh, look up the Materia Collective. A vinyl version is now also available for pre-order via I Am 8-Bit, which all sounds very cool. We have featured tracks from Undertale on no fewer than six previous Sound of Play podcasts, uh, possibly the same track on more than one occasion. Megalovania, I think, has been featured <laughs> yeah. more than once. Uh, and we covered Kane and Rince, uh, covered, I should say. Podcast 256 was our Undertale show, uh, and it was an emotional one mm. with our guest having a real passion for the game in particular. Uh, so check all that out. Remember also, please venture over to our forum. Uh, Craig here is a member, caderince.com slash forum. He will attest to the fact that it is friendly and uh, busy and yep, lively definitely. and intelligent and it's a little oasis of niceness <laughs> on the corner of the internet yeah uh, long may it remain so follow us on twitter at cane and rinse you can use a hashtag sound of play if you want to request pieces of music for the show uh, we also have a facebook page as you can imagine you can even do requests on there if you like uh, we'll continue to include a selection in each regular sound of play We've got some. Uh, we've got some more composers coming up. Actually, I'm not going to reveal any names just just yet. But we've got some very exciting talent that you will have heard of uh, if you're into video games music. Please subscribe to the podcast Sound of Play. Leave us an iTunes review or rating if you haven't already. We're still searching for more reviews and ratings on iTunes, and we're always after your donations. Patreon slash Kana Rinse. Uh, if you want to give us a dollar a month or more for all the podcasts that we put out there and all the money gets put back into our time, efforts, software, hardware and everything that goes into making Kana Rinse and Sound of Play. Now, before we talk about your final track, which yep. is another jolly piece that <laughs> I like very much, uh, I want to thank you for coming on, Craig. Well, thank you for having me. It's uh, been wonderful. And uh, where... On the internet, can people find you? Are you available for hire? <laughs> and uh, and uh, tell us anything you want to tell us about. Yep. So if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Craigedy Craig. So that's C-R-A-I-G-E-D-Y-C-R-A-I-G. If you want to, I'm also on Twitter as the music photo focused account Windmills at Dawn. Or if you want to go straight to my Bandcamp to hear that EP, you can find that at windmillsatdawn.bandcamp.com, which you can listen to the whole EP. You can stream it all for free. But if you want to take it on the go, say you're going on the tube and the, the reception's not so great, and 
but you want to listen to your favourite chiptune EP, if you give me just a little bit of money, you can have it, download it for free. It's not expensive, but listen to it for free. If you like it, give me some money. Uh, if you do want to commission me for some work, if you want a game, uh, just send me just send me a message to either of those Twitter accounts uh, or podcasts. So at the time of recording, it's not being published, but uh, within the next few weeks, uh, Liam Edwards, who was previous guest of this show, he runs yes. a podcast called Final Games, and I've been talking to him, and um, my music's going to be featured as the theme music for that podcast. So look forward to that, and if you have Excellent. any projects that you you think this kind of music would be good for so games podcasts youtube channels just let me know and i'm very flexible i can i can do whatever project you're interested in so let me know fantastic professionally done you can also find craig as i say on our forum i'm turning this back into yep. a plug for, for my stuff canarince.com slash forum you could send him a pm on there that's true uh, <laughs> my on the forum i go just as craig yeah I think there is only one just Craig on our forum, and that is you. Uh, I don't, don't think it allows duplicates. So, uh, And we're very happy to have you there. Now, uh, this last piece is an N64 piece, yeah. as mentioned earlier. Uh, this is a game that I do remember thoroughly enjoying the soundtrack of and thinking, my goodness, it is possible to do really cool music on the very limited sound architecture of the n64 i particularly remember the dungeon themes because this was one of the games and actually this is a a, a, a trick a gimmick used in breath of the wild to mention that game again yep. uh, among others which is where as you progress through the dungeon uh, and solve puzzles the layer the layers of music become more and more uh, elaborate and embellished and the, the tempo steps up and it's very very cool but yeah. this piece is uh, this is not a dungeon piece is it Shu shuhodo uh right? shuhodo shuhodo <laughs> so this something like this soundtrack is absolutely amazing it's so varied so normally when you talk about mystical ninja starring goemon soundtrack people immediately think of the musical numbers which is understandable they're very unusual and they are amazing uh, so you've got like the opening number you've got i am impact the one oh god <laughs> and so mad the, the reason they actually sound so much like anime openings is because the guy singing them is one of the guys who does them so you can see that's tracks right. on youtube of him doing other openings and it's just it blows your mind but this soundtrack is it's really positive and it has it has a sense of humor about it which makes sense giving the game and if you like the okami soundtrack that's big and sprawling but imagine those kinds of instruments similar sort of melodies but compressed into a rock pop jazz funk kind of group and you get some amazing sounds and uh, lots of amazing melodies and this track it opens with really uplifting flute and if you follow the me melody it keeps on changing instruments but it's pretty seamless in the way it does in the way it does it in that it just switches and the mood changes slightly but not in an abrasive way not it doesn't feel strange so it's really really well done and really really uh, wonderful to listen to 
And I was so cool as a teenager that mm. I had a mini disc player and <laughs> I used the sound test option and I recorded this soundtrack for my mini disc. That is cool. That's <laughs> like the the that's the 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 next generation. So I've talked before on here about how I plugged my ghetto blaster inverted mm -hmm. commas via into a Mega Drive and Amiga via phono cables and put them put them on cassettes, audio cassettes, C ninety. So I'm in good you company. Being 15, you're fifty. Well, you're fifteen years younger, so you did it on mini disc. That's yeah. Um, but the thing, yeah, the, this is all stuff that's uh, that is yeah gone the way of the dodo, as it were. Uh, the other thing that because uh, I think um, Goemon as a character is a sort of traditional Japanese. He's basically story, and he's basically Robin Hood, right? Except okay, except he he dies in when he is he's caught and boiled to death in a big pot. Not in the game, though. Not in the game, no. <laughs> but if yeah, if you're interested in where I live. In this game, uh, the Mystical Ninja starring, starring Goemon, you actually go yeah. to different places in Japan and they try to go to Kyushu because that's where the guys are hiding out. And then mm. the island of Kyushu, where I live, goes into space. So that's where I live. Okay. In space. In space. <laughs> yeah. So Gambare Goemon, I remember, means go for it, Goemon, something like that? Yeah. You, uh, you hear Gambare so much. It's it's People say it instead of good luck, it's literally means like do your best so do your best Goemon. so like at sports events people say gambate or gambare so you hear it a lot so it's a very very okay. common phrase and the subtitle for this one in the original japanese uh neo mama yama bakufu no odori yep does that mean anything to you uh neo neo momo yama so new uh peach mountain I'm not sure Bakufu, uh, right. Bakufu, but no Odori. I think Odori is a big festival. So, but I'd, okay. I'd have to look that up. Something about a big peach mountain festival. It's so much cooler yeah. than Mystical Ninja starring <laughs> Goemon. Um, yeah, but the overall, I remember the localization of this one was not as deeply offensive as the Super Nintendo game with Kid Ying yeah. and Dr. <laughs> Yang. But it, it did have some very strange things. So there was lots of moments with... Oh. Canned laughter, which canned laughter, which canned yeah. laughter in this game is strange enough. But I think some of those jokes weren't translated, so you, it wasn't even they made a joke. It was just canned laughter would just happen. So yeah, it's amazing. It's, it's a really, it's a really amazing game. Uh, I would, yeah, it's a series I'd love us to uh, look at on uh, Kane and Rince uh, if we ever have capacity. That would be a great one to do. Um, yeah, so we're going to close the show with uh, how do we say it again? Uh, Gambare Goemon, or Mystical... Ah, sorry, Shuhodo. <laughs> Shuhodo, that's it. Uh, Shigeru Araki, Yusuke Kato, Saiko Miki, and Yasumasa Kitagawa. Apologies, uh, everybody. Thank you again, Craig, and we'll uh, bid you farewell on your way. Have a lovely day with uh, Shuhodo. Shuhodo.